Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on all of our socials at Around the 412 and go subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Uh, this week, we have a special guest. Joining us is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Josh Getzoff. Josh, thank you for the time. We really appreciate having you on. Yeah, guys, thanks uh, for having me. I hear Smitty, the nickname, so you already have the hockey lingo down, so... Uh... <laughs> Appreciate yeah. being on with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I, I should have told you this before you came on, but in a text to Tyler, like when you were, we finally were able to nail down a date and time, I said Getsy yeah. was good to come on Tuesday at That's 7.45. That's what they call me behind so. the scenes. That's what they call me. Oh, really? Me. So, yeah. There I, you I, go. It just, you know, it's natural with hockey. It's either the, the Y or the IE or, you know, you get some, just an S added to the end sometimes, but you know how it goes. It's pretty, pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. Yeah, I didn't know if Tyler was going to respond to me and be like, why are we having Ryan Getzlaff on the show? But he knew exactly <laughs> what I meant. So uh, sure. we've had Steve Mears on the show before. It only made sense to finally get you on here as well. And what a week to do it. Week of the draft, obviously. We also have free agency looming. Um, but first, let's talk about you before we get into some hockey stuff, just your career in general. But I want to take it even a step further, just coming up, growing up. Let's go all the way back to your background. How did you even get into hockey? Was broadcasting something you've always wanted to do? Or like, when did that become what you had your eyes set on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, when you go all the way back for me, um, it's really is something that I've wanted to do for, I'm 34 now. It's probably been the last 20 plus years of my life that it's something that I've wanted to do and wanted to be involved in. I mean, I think like a lot of us, I grew up playing sports. Uh, I played hockey. I played baseball probably more than any other sport. Um, and I realized when I was like, 12 years old in hockey and a lot of my friends, uh, including Eric Tangrati, who I grew up with, um, were, were getting chosen to select teams and play in tournaments. And I was like, yeah, man, you're doing great, but maybe you should stay back here and not travel with the team. I was like, okay, this is probably not something I'm going to end up doing as a full-time job, like playing in the NHL or anything close to it. Um, so I started to get involved in sports media. And by that, I mean, I would just read the paper and I would write my own fake stories based off what I read in the paper. Um, and then I started to realize that I could broadcast too. I mean, it was kind of like you'd realize different realms of what it was like to be in sports without actually playing the sport. Um, and to me, then that became my interest. I mean, I still was, you know, playing the sports. I was still involved. I played college hockey up until the end of my sophomore year. Um, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew it was more of a hobby than a, a career path. Um, so I would say, you know, really when I was like 12, 13, I started to get involved in just reading, writing, watching a a lot of different anchors, a lot of different broadcasters, a lot of different writers, just seeing how they handled themselves, uh, and unknowingly at the time kind of absorbing it. And then that took me forward. I started a sports broadcast club with two of my best friends, uh, Mm -hmm. from high school. Ironically enough, the, uh, the three of us are all still in the industry, uh, my one friend, Steve Watson, is now the, uh, the Dan Potash, essentially, for the Milwaukee Brewers uh, oh, on their broadcasts. Um, and then my other friend, Alex Cohen, is the play-by-play for the Iowa Cubs, the AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. So they both have interest in what's going on in Pittsburgh, but on the baseball side. So I can't really help them there. Um, <laughs> and then I, I went to Ithaca College, studied there, got into broadcasting really heavily there. And then that kind of took me on my path to starting in Elmira, New York, a small town about 30 minutes outside of Ithaca, went from there to Champaign, Illinois, and then uh, that led me to Pittsburgh in 20, 
15, and this year will be my ninth year already with the Penguins coming up. So, yeah, wait, you know what? Actually, we gotta let's talk about that right there because was your yeah. first t- season in Pittsburgh was that the first of the back to back cups in 15, 16, or was that the year previous? Yeah, that was so my first year I came in, it was a whirlwind. Like, I got hired on probably the beginning. I think it was like the first week of September, I actually got hired. And the way that my job had worked in my previous employers, I was under contract until September 30th, and they wouldn't let me out of that job. So the Penguins were cool with it. Like they said, you know, we'll let you come the end Mm -hmm. of your contract. Problem was, you know how it works with hockey. I mean, look at the schedule this year in the preseason. You show up in first week of October there's a few preseason games already done training camps halfway over. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of that meet and greet aspect of the preseason is way in the rear view mirror. So um, I kind of was thrown into it. Uh, I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved every second of it, but I didn't necessarily have the benefit of, you know, looking around, getting to know my surroundings. It was kind of just like, I'm here, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, the season was off and running and obviously had a rocky start, but a really awesome finish. And um, yeah, ever since then it's just been kind of, Go, go, go. But I've loved every second of it. Josh, stay with me here for a second because you're not going to like the way that this starts out. But the first – so your first season in Pittsburgh, they won the Cup. So hear me out on this. Okay. The Penguins fire you and then rehire you. (laughs) I know what you're saying. So, like, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do we say, like, maybe that I just, like, miss a paycheck and then, like, that's being fired, and then all of a sudden the next week it shows up. Okay, okay. you're rehired. You know, if, if yeah. that if that works back. out, then that that could be good. Yeah. Hey, all right. Well, in that case, like, I'm back now. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Uh, no, all jokes aside, I, I mentioned to Tyler that I was going to say that before because I was we were doing research. We were like, was his first season the year yeah. that they won the cup? Is that what we need to do? Is hire Josh Getzoff in order to win the cup? <laughs> so actually, you know what, what it should do if we do that theoretically is they should win the next two. Right. Exactly. I mean, no pressure, Kyle Dubas, figure it out. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, like Colby Armstrong that year, he, he started to break into the broadcast side and we know what he's done since. I mean, he's a star and, and deservedly. So he's really like, I remember saying it to him when we first started working together. I was like, you got to stick with this, man. You are yeah. really a natural. You have the, the charisma, you're funny, you know, the game, you're, you're going to go really far. And I mean, it's been amazing and it's been really cool to watch him, but we were really linked together that first year because I did the pre and post a lot with him, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we just kind of grew friends together that year. We became really close and we're still obviously really close now, but it was kind of cool because we came in at the same time and he obviously was not a part of those cup teams, especially in 2009, as he'll be the first to tell you. Uh, but he also kind of had the opportunity because of what he was doing in 16 and 17 that we were there. He was able to be a part of it. Guys like Sid who knew him, Tanger, Flower, they brought him into the mix. And I think that was a really cool uh, experience for him too. Cause you know, players, I think sometimes you, you win, but you're not on the team. That player instinct is, well, I, sh- I shouldn't be celebrating. I didn't, I didn't earn this. And those guys, you know, they were like, Hey, you were a part of the, the formative years of the, you know, the X generation and all this kind of stuff. And uh, this is our opportunity to see it all come full circle. So just as an aside, that was kind of a cool part of those two years uh, to be right there with Colby while he got to have those kind of moments also. 
Yeah. What was it like to, so we had Rusty on here a couple years ago and we were able to talk to him about in kind of similar situation where his career with like actually being at the NHL level, he wins back-to-back cups immediately. But from like a media perspective, what's it like to come into an organization and you're at the high of highs for, for your first couple of years and you, there's no, there's no downtime immediately. You're, you're with a team that's winning back-to-back cups. Like from a media perspective, what is that like? Um, this is no slight on anyone in the journalism industry that's working around the Penguins. And there are some unbelievable people who cover them on a daily basis, but it's pretty easy, honestly, because everything's good. There's no, yeah. there's no bad things. You, you know, you, you have your great moments, you have your, uh, your great memories throughout the playoff run. The storylines kind of write themselves as the games go along and it's a happy ending. You win. Um, and no one's, you know, no one's going to get fired when you um, maybe, you know, people part ways like we've seen in Washington with Barry Trotz, but no one gets fired when you win the Stanley cup. No one, you know, is, is banished away when you win the Stanley cup. Everyone's a hero. You're celebrated as such. So I think those first couple years, easy is maybe the wrong word, but they were, uh, they were nice to work in, I guess, you know, conducive to a fun work environment would be the best way to say it those first couple of years. But what you quickly realize, especially this year, I think it really hammered at home is those are long runs. Like when you go on and win the Stanley Cup, I mean, think about it. Vegas finished, what, a week ago this past Tuesday, like they, or two weeks yeah. ago, whatever it was. That's a long journey that begins in mid-September and ends sometime in mid to late June. Uh, and you've seen some of the injuries that have come out since. Like it's, it shows how hard it is to win it, but it also shows how hard it is to do it again. Um, mm-hmm. Colorado obviously couldn't do it this year. But I think that speaks volumes about what the Penguins especially were able to do. I know Tampa kind of did it in two and a half years with the COVID situation, but um, the Penguins especially were able to do. So I I just I I think when you look at it, just kind of going back to your original question, it gives you so much of an appreciation for how hard it is when you see these kind of years where it doesn't go your way and where there is a lot of drama and when there is a lot of bad. Uh, as far as the results are concerned, it gives you just that appreciation for how great things can be when you're at the top. Um, I want to, I don't want to keep jumping around, but you said something, you know, kind of talking about your journey and you have two friends that are still working in the industry that caught my ear. And you were saying you three like started up a, a club essentially. Like yeah. it, I want to just know more about that because is that okay. So Tyler and I are 28. And so, you know, like mid nineties babies, right. But like late eighties, early nineties, was that club, what you would say, like maybe what we're doing now, like instead of a podcast, you guys were doing something like that. Somewhat, but it was still in high school. So we were like, basically it was, I'm trying to think of how I describe it. Like we were essentially three kids that expanded to like 10 kids that were kind of interested in maybe getting into broadcasting. We had the the little JVC camcorder you would get from Best Buy and of those little mics you'd finagle into the side and that's how we would do it i mean we did football we did basketball but on just like a small little tripod moving back and forth at the top of the scaffolding and i think that Mm -hmm. was like it was fun for us it was like oh my god this is cool we're calling games like we're we're having this experience um never expecting that it would amount to anything more than just a fun hobby uh when we were in high school but it ended up being something we all put on our resumes i would say maybe helped us on our college searches just having that kind of thing um, you know, as far as a background is concerned. Uh, and it, for me, it, it was really the first time where I was like, I kind of, I kind of like doing this. Like, this is, um, 
this is really fun for me and this is enjoyable and I like the preparation and I like the feeling you get when you're calling it. Um, and that's just kind of extrapolated over the years since, but it's, it, that's, that's really uh, an early moment where it kind of, I guess the light bulb went on for me in that situation. So it was almost like a launching pad, if you will. I mean, that in really a way. seems, yeah, that was really cool. Go ahead, Tyler. What was hockey always your favorite sport to call or did you have other sports that you really liked calling as well? Uh, yeah, hockey was always my favorite sport, I would say. I think calling it just kind of came a little bit naturally because I played it for so long. And I mean, granted, I didn't play at the highest level, but I did play, like I mentioned, two years college. I mean, I played varsity. I played triple A um, growing up and stuff like that. So I was playing with pretty high energy players and high level capable players. So I think just that ability to call a game and have the anticipation in the back of my mind um, helps. But it's always been my number one love. Like I, I, when I was really little, was always into hockey. It was the thing that I wanted to be a part of. So I just feel really fortunate that it's kind of taken me to where I am now. But you also look at the game, and I was, I was just actually just read a book, um, Justin Bourne's book, who's on Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet and hosts a show with Nick Kiprios. And it's a good book. I recommend it. Um, but it talks a lot about um, – his battle with alcoholism and, and working his way through that and doing some stuff on the broadcast front. But one of the things that he says is you don't realize until you take take a step back, how much the game of hockey has given you. And mm -hmm. I think about that now and like what it's given me over the last, you know, essentially decade of my life. Like it's, it's an amazing sport and the people are incredible that you work with in there and, and, you know, just the experiences that you get to have. I've been fortunate, like you guys mentioned that I've been there for two Stanley cups but it's, it's just a cool community of people who really have a similar kind of passion about the sport. And people would call it a niche sport maybe, but uh, to me, it's, it's just the greatest sport in the world and the people around it are the best. And uh, I feel really fortunate that I get to work in it. Is that book by Justin Bourne an audio book? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I'm not sure about that, but are you a big audio book guy? I can't read. No, I'm just I just want to say. I, I would definitely, I would definitely enjoy it more if it was an audio book. I'll be honest. When you said you can't read, I felt bad that I laughed initially first. So. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, you know, it's coming. I got to ask you about Mike Lang. Uh, obviously, yeah, like I feel like every time that you make an appearance anywhere, that's probably a question that you have to answer. Um, but we haven't gotten to have a conversation about him yet, so. Um, you know, what has he meant to your career, you know, from the time that you got there, obviously to having the opportunity to take over that seat, what has he meant to you? Yeah. Uh, everything, um, in a word, but, uh, I would say also, you know, you, you, I mentioned that whirlwind I had when I came in for training camp, uh, in 2015, one of my most vivid memories from that was Tom McMillan, who since retired was the Penguins vice president of communications. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's, you know, one of the days that I got there, one of the first few days when they were in the middle of training camp, he's like, Hey, listen, I'm going to take you around the locker room. I want you to meet the players because these are the guys you'll be working with all year. And it's time to start building relationships. Cause you, you know, you kind of missed out on the first couple of weeks when you'd be doing that. Um, so he's taking me around. I say hi to everybody. Uh, and then as I'm kind of doing my wrap around the room, Mike Lang and Phil Bork come walking in and he's like, Oh, you know, you got to meet these guys. They're going to be the ones you're working with the most and everything. And you know, I shake their hands, say hi to them. And my, I still remember Mikey, like, looking at me. And he's like, how old are you? I was like, um, 27. And he, like, grabbed my shoulder. He's like, that's how old I was when I came to Pittsburgh. And, like, I've said this before, but in the moment, I was kind of like, that's awesome. Like, Mike Lang, like, this is so cool. You know, talking to me and acting like he's excited to meet me. 
But then I think about it and the development we've had since then, like in the relationship we've had. And I almost wonder if maybe there was an early sign for him in that moment, like, hey, maybe this is the guy like mm. that when when I'm ready, he's stepping in now at a young age. He's hungry. He's ready to go. Maybe this is the guy that one day is going to take my spot and, and take over my chair. And, you know, obviously we saw things happen. But, I mean, he was incredible throughout that whole situation. Like, obviously, he. Um, had to step back just travel wise. I think it was in 2018. And he was the first person. I still remember talking to him in the bowels of PPG Paints Arena. And he's like, listen to me, you're ready for this. You're ready to go in there. You're ready to do these games. Like, I, he's like, I have full confidence in you. And I've said this before, too. When he said that stuff to me, I didn't, no offense to, to the fans out there, but I didn't really care what anybody thought how I was doing. Because he thought I was doing all right. And he thought I was worthy of being in there. That was all that mattered to me. Um, so I've kind of taken that belief that he's had in me and taken it to the next level of just doing it full time. And it's been a blast and we still keep in touch. I mean, he's saying, I don't know if you guys have heard the stories, but he sends me texts, me and Borky texts all the time during games. If we're getting a little too excited about something, he gives us a text to say, settle down. Uh, he tells me to reel <laughs> Borky in like, he's like, cast, cast the fish eye, uh, hook, Josh, and reel him back in. Reeling back into the booth. Uh, he was probably having a field day then with uh, that Geno goal to take the that won the game against the Caps. Where there's oh, like that he loved iconic, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he loved that. Like he, so he, he, you know, one thing about Mikey is if you remember back when he was calling games at like really his peak when he was doing every game and he had just that that pop when he was calling it. Um, mm-hmm. He had an ability to make big moments seem bigger than they actually were because he could develop that in his voice. And that to me is like one of the greatest things about him. He has his Langisms and they're legendary. He has his goal calls and they're legendary, but like his ability to anticipate and feel something coming for a guy that had never played hockey, never been on the ice himself and just watched it. Uh, to me, it was, it was uncanny and second to none. And I've tried to t- take a lot of the ways that he would develop his voice in situations into my call and put my spin on it in certain situations. But to your point about that GoPro video, he was loving yeah. it because he, he's, he said, I think that's what you're referring to, right? With that. It video is. Of me yeah, yeah, yeah. Bork, he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he, he said, I remember him saying, he texted me, he said, this is what people hope that you guys look like in this kind of a moment. They hope that you're having that much fun and that much energy because that's what you guys felt. Like when that goal was scored, you're like, you go, you go from just the absolute depths of despair of blowing a three, nothing lead on home ice to Washington to scoring with whatever was 80 seconds left. And you win at the time, which felt like the game that finally got them over the hump. We know how things played out, but um, it was, it was a cool moment. And, and, you know, he, like I said, he's, he's still very much con- in contact with me and Phil and, uh, Texas pretty often actually was just texting with him yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's still a very, very important person, you know, in the day-to-day broadcast life for all, all of us. I also think he made it easier for people to accept you taking over his chair because I just doing research before this, I've literally, I mean, I just searched your name and was going through some articles and stuff. And there was one where he was like, you know, basically giving you that acknowledgement saying that this guy is ready to take over. And when you, you know, make that statement to the fans right off the bat, I think it was easier for people to accept the transition. Thanks to him. 
I agree. Um, and I'm thankful for him for doing that. Um, and he didn't have to do that. I mean, he didn't have to, he didn't even have to take a liking to me. You know, he could have just been like, this guy's yeah. doing the pregame postgame. I'm calling the games. I don't have any real interaction with him in game, but it wasn't like that. Like we sat with each other a lot. Um, one of the, one of the great things that I was able to do and the Penguins gave me the ability to do was travel during the playoffs, the two years that they won the cup and I was doing the pregame and postgame. Um, and because of that, I spent a lot of time with him. Like we would sit together during the morning skates. We would spend time together after the game. Uh, we would, you know, walk together on the off days and talk about things and you'd really develop a relationship. I mean, you, you get your rapport with your broadcast brethren and your partner, like Phil and I are really close friends off the air. And, and we actually just golfed together last week and, you know, we're, we're, we hang out and that kind of stuff when we're not, when we're on the road and not in the broadcast booth. And that's really where those relationships are built and where you see it come to life when you're on the air. Um, because you can tell when people genuinely like each other and you can also tell when people are just working with each other. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the, the working side, but to have that personal relationship and that real like belief in one another that you're going to get the job done. I feel like, you know, those years where I was with Mike and Phil, we, we really felt like all of us could really bring something to the table every single broadcast and we still we felt and i still feel that our radio broadcast is second to none and brings a level that is not matched so it's 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 a fun um atmosphere that we've created and it's a fun broadcast that we've created and mike lang kind of set the tone and the bar uh that will continuously be strive to be reached but probably never touched uh in the years to come i think it's probably like this within every market i mean you need to have these people to be able to do it on the radio side but at least for me obviously this is the only one that i really see and i'm not even like a big person for listening to games on the radio but if i'm going to they better be able to paint the picture as if i am watching it and i think that you guys do a great job of doing so and obviously i don't have you know the ability to compare you guys to other markets or anything right. like that but i think that's what makes you so great at your job is the ability to even though you are listening to the game be able to visualize it because of the way that it's being called. Yeah, I think that that comes with time too. I mean, I'll admit, like, it's funny. I'll listen back to some of my first couple games and it doesn't even sound like the same person with just the, the verbiage that I use now, the tone, the cadence, um, more of the, the confidence I have, I guess, in calling a game now than I did five years ago. Um, but that's, that's normal, right? Like in any job, like the more reps you get, the more opportunities you get the better you hope you will get at it and the more comfortable you will definitely get yeah, at Josh, it. Yeah, Josh, I don't know better. if you want to, you want to go back and listen to our first podcast. I, I don't know if you want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to log back and go, uh, go check <laughs> it out after this. Now I'll give you guys a, a scathing review. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, I, I think that, that that's, that's normal, right? Like anything you do, you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. It sounds cliche, but it's so true, like repetition. And um, in hockey, you know, you get 82 cracks. Like, that's my feeling with radio. You get 82 cracks. Why would you not give 1,000% 82 times and hope that you get a little bit more games to, as a reward afterwards? So that's how I operate, and I don't know any other way <laughs> when it comes to calling them. Right. Yeah, just keeping with Mike Lang for a sec, I'm just curious. He has so many iconic calls, and you mentioned the Langisms. Mm. Do you have a personal favorite of his, whether it's a goal call or a Langism itself? Yeah, I, so um, getting the bingo or getting the fast lane, Grandma, the bingo game is ready to roll, is probably my favorite because it was a really unique situation where I actually saw him say that in San Jose. 
when they won mm. the cup, I, I knew that it was getting close and I wanted to hear what he was going to say. And I could see he had like, if this was his desk right here, he had a little post-it note right here that his hand was over. And I was like, that's it. That's what he's going to say. <laughs> so I was like, I'm like watching the ice, but also watching him. And um, the way San Jose's building works is there's like an elevator shaft directly behind the broadcast booths that takes you right down to the ice level. So I had to do the post-game interviews afterwards, but I was like, I'm not missing this call. Like, I want to hear what he has to say. And it's obviously muffled because you're standing behind them and they had their headsets on and they didn't even know I was there. But I just, you know, right when it, right when it ends, I just hear him go like, it's over, get in the fast lane, grandma, the bingo game's ready to roll. And I was like, oh, that was awesome. And then I just sprinted onto the elevator and went downstairs. <laughs> so that one probably when I hear it brings back the best memory. I've always loved uh, – you know, when he speaks about a goaltender, like whoever you throw in a last name in there just lost his liquor license. Like for some reason, that's always made me laugh. Like, I, I don't know. I've always liked that one. So those are probably my two favorite ones. Did you ever tell him like afterwards about you like being behind him for that Stanley Cup final call? No, but the funny gonna... thing is I've told that story a couple of times, but never to him and Phil. So like if they've heard it, they've heard it indirectly from me. <laughs> I've never I've never actually said, hey, uh. During the most important time of the season, I was just heavily breathing and standing behind you guys watching the ice and waiting for the final seconds to tick yeah. down. Uh, but yeah, no, that was that was definitely a cool moment. And when I think back on that particular line of his, that's the memory that comes up. Yeah. What, what's that like for you for, um, say, say like a game's in like overtime? Do you have like things that you're thinking of if, if the Penguins are going to win in overtime or that they win in a certain fashion that you're like thinking of how to call this goal specifically? Or does that just come more on the fly? Um, it's a little bit of both. Like I think that you can get into a real dangerous situation if you try to plan out what you're going to say too much, especially with hockey. Um, I can't speak to other sports, but, you know, it's just football seems a lot of times like there is more breathing room to actually, you know, obviously plays happen at full speed. But when the guy's in the end zone for the touchdown, there's a little bit more room to kind of, you know, sell what just happened. Baseball, obviously, is a ton of time. Um, but with hockey, I feel like a lot of it's so reactionary that I try to, in particular moments, have a little something like because I feel like there's a there's a line you have to walk between totally off the cuff and reactionary and somewhat prepared. Like for example, Sid's 500th goal two years ago against Philly. I had something ready for that. Um, Sid's 1500 point this year. I had something ready for it. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. So you, you got to be careful that it's not something that just sounds strange. Um, Cause those, those moments live on. And I believe in my role, like there is a lot of pressure in those moments to do them justice for guys like Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin or Chris Letang, or even, you know, Drew O'Connor when he scored his first goal last season in the mm -hmm. NHL, like you want you want to make sure those moments are justified for these guys to put in the work and you get to know on a personal level and cheer for, uh, to have that moment. So I would say, you know, in overtime, I've done the one, the, the lock, the doors, turn out the lights, penguins win in overtime. Like that was kind of something that I just came up with on my own. And I use it, not as much as I used to because I started to feel to the point that I said earlier that sometimes it felt forced and I felt like I didn't need to be saying it um, on certain goals. I'll break it out every once in a while, um, but not all the time. But what I started to do a lot this year is I just kind of leaned into moments and didn't necessarily have a whole uh, thought process written out or anything like that. And I felt like as a result, I was able to do some of my best work in those moments. So um, I'm not saying that that will be the direction I go forever, but I've also been really lucky that um, I've walked into a situation where 
I'm calling games when Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, like these guys are all hitting significant milestones. They're all um, at the, not the, the back nine of their careers, but they're in situations where a lot of these milestones that most players never touch are reachable for them. Like Gino's no injury preceding him is going, is going to hit 500 goals this year. Like these are things that I think about because they're very important. Chris Letang obviously missed a lot of time last year, but still got to that a thousandth game. Um, and th- those were, those are big moments and they're important to me because like I said, you get to know these guys and you cheer for them. And then to be a, a small part of those moments, uh, is really special. Well, I'd ask you about Mike Lang and, and his, your favorite call of his, do you have one of yours that you would say like sticks out that that was pretty good? Oof, uh, hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that that GoPro one this year ended up being pretty good, and that was just yeah, totally yeah. reactionary. Uh, I would say one of the ones that I've always loved is um, – one of the ones is actually one of the ones I was calling my first year. Um, and you'll listen. I didn't really have total control of my voice like I do now in the sense that I kind of still sound like I'm in puberty. Um, but <laughs> when Sid walked Dylan Strom – um in Edmonton and then backhanded it in that 6-5 crazy game the first time him and McDavid matched up um that one was was a fun game I mean obviously just from the goal scoring perspective but also being able to call that that was one that sticks out to me um Gino's shootout winner this year uh on his 1000th game against Calgary that was a fun one there, there's been a few, um, but those ones just off the top of my head pop out. I'm sure there's more that I can't think of right now, but, um, you know, those are, those are some of the ones. And generally it's the guys who are the big names that scoring those goals. Cause they're at big moments. And, um, mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? Uh, Gino's triple overtime goal against New York last year in the first round in game oh, one, my. that one was, uh, I mean, that was two games in one. <laughs> so that was that was a marathon. And there was a lot going on in that game. So that one probably sticks out for sure. I'm going to have to go back and actually listen to what your call was on that one because I don't even know if I've heard that, to be honest. that was So that was the one, like I said to you guys, I, I didn't have anything planned at that point because you're in triple overtime. You're, you're just trying to make sure yeah. you don't miss the goal at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, don't, I, th- I think I, I said slap it on the Broadway marquee when he scores, and that that kind of got some traction. Unfortunately, they didn't win the series. But I will say that yeah. that game seven in overtime, I've said this before, I had something ready if they would have won that game seven in overtime. But it died that night. So yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Let's let's transition here and talk real quickly, just a little bit about Kyle Dubas taking over. Sure. Um, what have been your first impressions? Obviously, you were able to be there for that first press conference, and he since had the uh, the pre-draft media availability. So a couple different times being able to, to talk to him and listen to him speak. What have you been your first impressions of Kyle Dubas, and do you think he is the guy? So my first impressions were, uh, let me go back. Before they hired him, I didn't feel one way or another. I think we all knew Fenway really liked him. Like Whether you were in the know yeah. or not, he just seemed to fit the mold of what Fenway Sports Group wants their executives to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there was a natural ability that those two potentially would become connected should he be available. And then we all know how that played out. I didn't really have a feeling one way or the other. Like, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I'm not into analytics. I'm not, I'm just a hockey guy. Like I'm, you know, I'm a whatever wins guy. That's kind of the way that I look at it. And the Kyle Dubas, you know, the, yes, Toronto didn't break through until this year, but you look at the records. I mean, they were top five in the NHL for his entire tenure in Toronto. It's a different roster that he has here. There's no question about that. But I'll say from those two press conferences, 
he's won me over with what he said and what he's sold. But as he said himself uh, last Friday before the um, awards and the draft tomorrow night, um, you know, it changes when you don't win. You can have a lot of stuff and a lot of plan and a lot of idea, but when you don't win in this kind of a situation, it, it, the, the whole scope of you and the whole perspective of what you're doing shifts. Um, now, with that being said, I'm giving him full opportunity to put his stamp on this roster before I have any kind of opinion on what he can do because he needs to do a lot of work. Let's feel here. Like yeah. I've said this to a few people, like a lot of people are like, Oh, I'd keep this guy, I'd keep that guy. I'm like, listen, I love these guys. I'm with them all the time. But if you're looking at this from a genuinely just unbiased perspective, this team did not make the playoffs. So how is anybody justified in returning in their current role next year, aside from the ones who we know the obvious and, and were not the problems last year, you know, what I'm talking about, I don't need to name names, but like, I look at this roster and that's how I look at it. Like, I don't think that anybody in particular, aside from the obvious ones, was a reason that they could have gotten into the playoffs. In fact, they maybe were reasons that they did not get into the playoffs. So I think Kyle Dubas has been pretty straightforward in saying he's got $21 million to work with. You could probably shave a couple million off that when he inevitably, in my opinion, qualifies Ryan Paling and Drew O'Connor. I think that's a no brainer to bring those two guys back. Um, and so then you're working with a little over 19 million and you got to figure out how to fill your roster. And I think it's really interesting guys, because he could take a lot of root here. Like I asked him point blank in our press conference last Friday, what characteristic he's looking for in players that he's looking to add this summer. And he used a really peculiar word to me and he said, talent. And like, you think NHL players, like, of course they're talented, but his, his reasoning was, you look at Sidney Crosby and what Evgeny Malkin and Ricard Raquel and Jason Zucker, like those guys, they had monster years last year. But then beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of talent and, and production in the Penguins lineup. So it'll be interesting what that translates to as far as a fairly weak free agent crop, but a pretty heavy mm-hmm. trade market, as we've seen. I mean, even just before you and I got on, there's trades happening left and right uh, across the NHL. Yeah. So. I'm going to be interested to see what he does. I'd be surprised if over the next week, the Penguins roster doesn't have some dramatically new faces on it because it has to. Um, and it's, it's his job now. It's his roster. He's got to put his stamp on it. That's a good point. Do you feel you mentioned, you know, talking about the guys that did have good seasons, really the only one out of that, the free agent group that I want to bring up, Jason Zucker, between him, Brian Dumoulin, Tristan Jari, you know, three, he, unrestricted free agents of theirs. Do you feel one way about any of those three in terms of their, the potential to return to this team? The one that I feel the most strongly about as far as just the one way or the other is Jarry, because I think, you know, where are we at? You and I are speaking here on the 27th free agency starts on the first, in my opinion, maybe you guys disagree. If that guy is a UFA come noon or 3 PM, whatever it is on July 1st, someone's signing him. Like I can't, yeah, I cannot I, imagine he's coming back and renegotiating with the Penguins. So to me, it's going to be pretty cut and dry. If if he's here, he will have been signed within the next three or four days. If he's not signed by then, to me, he's not coming back. And then the answer obviously then becomes, who do you sign? Who do you bring in? You know, what's the move there? So um, that's why I think that one's the most interesting. The the most unfortunate is probably Zucker because we're all anticipating that he's going to want his last long-term contract as a 31-year-old and well-deserved if he gets it. 
But mm-hmm. I just don't think it makes sense for the Penguins when Kyle Dubas has blatantly come out and said, we want to get younger. We want to get, you know, just a, a younger overall roster. It's kind of 31 year old to a three, four, five year deal doesn't exactly go in the way of what he's saying right there. So, and I say that as a guy that has been one of Jason Zucker's biggest supporters when he was dealing with all of his injuries and calling him a wild card year after year. And it's been unfortunate to see him not be able to necessarily get that fair shake health wise. And then we finally saw it this year and everyone loves him and he's been amazing, but in the process, he may have priced him out himself out. And that's just the unfortunate thing about all this um, is that he may not be back next year, but um, you know, if, if the, if the cards align and that guy's willing to take a two year deal, then I say go for it. But I don't blame him if he's looking for five by five or more yeah because he same. should he should be he should be and he'll, he'll get it too he'll get it from somebody oh yeah i mean look at the way that six-year deals have just kind of been thrown out there in the last few seasons um right but i was just speaking of that you look at his age and, and the term that he could get and stuff like that not that i don't love brian rust i mean we mentioned that he's been on the show before but the only caveat that i would say with zucker is if you didn't have that contract already for you know a 30 year old with his term and cap hit maybe you could justify the Jason Zucker one with something similar, but yeah, I, I can't, I can't give another long-term deal to a 30 plus year old. For sure. And I, I agree with you on that actually a hundred percent. I just always look back and it's like, okay, well, so when Russ signed that contract, Zucker had not had this season. Yep. That's, that's mm-hmm. what it really mm-hmm. comes down to. Oh like, yeah. I got the benefit of 2020 hindsight right now. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I mean. I agree with you, Zach, like a hundred percent. Like, but if, if, if Zucker had had the year he had this year, the previous year, then I think we're all kind of scratching our heads at the, the Russ term and the Russ contract, because mm-hmm. I agree with you. But yeah. it made sense in the time because you just didn't know what you were going to get with Jason Zucker, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, you know, we're talking about this after <laughs> Russ has a year with just like – yeah, right. <laughs> Terrible finishing for whatever reason. He just, yeah. the finishing just totally. I mean, the entire team, their finishing numbers were down this year. I mean, I know you could look on the surface and see the, the goal total for Jake Gensel being relatively similar, but that's adding seven empty netters. Like, even at 5v5, he was down that's a little point. bit. So, yeah. uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if he can, you know, get back to his normal level too. Um, but okay, let's talk draft. Obviously, we were mentioning a little bit beforehand. This is a, a good year to have a very rare middle of the first round pick for the Pittsburgh Penguins picking at number 14. We never see this. And in a really strong draft, the Pittsburgh Penguins won that 14th pick. Let's just get this out of the way first and foremost, because I I don't want to get old takes exposed here and say that there's no chance that they're going to move that pick, but we feel pretty good about them taking making a pick, right? Like not trading that asset for a player or anything like that, because there's obviously been some talk about like, Oh, Connor Hellebuck said that he wasn't signing an extension. Could the Penguins trade the 14th overall pick plus, for Connor Hellebuck. We think the Penguins are making a pick tomorrow night, right? Yeah, I, I think they're making a pick tomorrow night. I think they're making the pick at 14 tomorrow night. I mean, Kyle Dubas didn't rule out possibly even trading back, which that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, if they feel like there's a guy they can get later and maybe pick up another draft pick in moving that 14th pick to move mm-hmm. a little later in the first round. Um, the one thing he did say, um, and Ron Hextall said the same thing, was he didn't want to move their first, and he didn't want to move a top prospect like an Owen Pickering. I mean, the reality is there's two things here, guys, like in my opinion. You need to add some prospects, whether you're contending now or not. And you can't miss on this pick. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. 
obviously. But this mm-hmm. has to be, and you know, we're doing a draft show tomorrow night um, on ESPN Radio in Pittsburgh. Paul Staggerwald and I are going to host that. And we were talking about it today, just kind of previewing some stuff that we're going to, um, you know, get in order for that show. And it's to me, this is a big pick because you don't have a whole lot in the prospect pool. And if you're going to add a substantial piece, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that 14th overall pick. Kyle even said it himself a couple of days ago is not going to be in the lineup maybe for two seasons, but if he's somebody who can be in the lineup and somebody who can be a, you know, a top six forward or a top four defenseman, um, then that, that would be huge for this organization. Cause if you look at their prospect pool right now, Owen Pickering's still a bit of a wild card. He's a good player, yeah. but he needs to fill out. He needs to learn the pro game. He just had kind of a sniff last year with Wilkes-Barre Scranton at the end of the season. Um, but then who's your next best prospect Valtteri Pustin in, right? Like, yeah. And, and that's no offense to Valtteri Pustin and who's, led the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in scoring each of the last two years. But I mean, you got to start to build a little bit more there. Um, so my, my hope is that that pick is somebody who we can get excited about. Um, not, you know, within reason, right. We're not talking about a franchise changer, like a Bedard or a Fantilli <laughs> or anything like that, but we're, we're talking about a player who you could look back and say, Hey, in 2018, Philadelphia picked Joel Farabee in that 14th spot. In 2016, Boston picked Charlie McAvoy in that 14 spot. There have been some great players that have been selected there. So it's not mm-hmm. out of the realm of possibility. You just got to make it count. And maybe that player shares a first name with me, and his last name is Benson. I mean, that'd be great. The Winnipeg, <laughs> that, that's my uh, guy. That's my guy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, listen, the, the last couple mocks that I've read, can I call you Smitty? Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Getsy. Well, the last... There we go. We're on now. <laughs> the, 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 the last couple, uh, the last couple of mocks I've read, actually, one of them had Zach Benson going to yeah. the Penguins. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, I, I tend to um, lean towards the best available, like whether it is a defenseman, whether it is a forward. I think that they can't really be picky here, especially knowing, like I said, that this guy's not going to be in your lineup next season unless something dramatic yeah. happens. Um, by dramatic, I mean like Mishkov falls to 14, which is not going to happen. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it does. Hey, who knows? It's hard for me to believe Washington would pass him at eight with the that's, connections. That's the one. Yep. There. Yeah. So um, I, I think that that's going to be the one fun thing to watch tomorrow night. Like it really sounds like based on what we've heard, right, that it's obviously Bedard, who, by the way, taking his NHL debut in Pittsburgh on opening night. That's kind of cool. On um, ESPN. On ESPN, yeah. And then you'll have uh, Fantilli probably going to Anaheim, which I think is a great pick by the Ducks. And it sounds like this Leo Carlson's going to go to Columbus because Yarmo Kekalainen has been talking about drafting a franchise-changing center. And after mm-hmm. Fantilli, Carlson's the next logical one. And then after that's where it sounds like it's going to get really tricky because yep. I've heard Will Smith with San Jose um, and then Montreal, who knows? They seem to like to have the flair for the dramatic in those early picks. So who knows? And then you got Philly coming in at seven and Washington at eight. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out, but uh, we'll all be glued to it. And I mean, I, I think the Penguins are going to get a good player. Like that's just the reality. They're going to get a good player. They just mm-hmm. need to make sure that they, they hit, it has to hit. Like it cannot be something in two or three years from now that we're like, whatever happened to this guy, like it's got to hit. I think mm-hmm. with how good this draft class is, at least within that first 20, 25 ish, uh, they're going to get a player that should go in like the top seven or eight in most years at yep. 14. I agree with you. Yeah, that's what it that's sounds like. I mean, I at it. 
this this defenseman everyone likes the Swedish guy ASP. I'm I'm not yeah. uh, I'm not 100 percent tuned up with his name yet, just because I haven't had to be, but I will be if I need to be. Um, I like this kid Matthew Wood from UConn. He seems to check a lot of boxes. Um, Benson, he's a like Sullivan a system guy. Like Matthew Wood would make a ton of set if they took him. I think a lot of people would be like, ah, you know, he wasn't really in like going in this spot in a lot of mocks that I read perfect fit in Sullivan system, obviously not for like, yeah. you know, two years probably, but right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think then Benson is another guy that I also have read a lot about and seems like if he's there, it'd be a no brainer. Like Dubas probably should sprint to the podium. I got to look at Dubas's track record in terms of in Toronto and draft. If he has, if he's willing to draft smaller guys, he absolutely would be the pick if he fell to 14. I just don't know how he feels about size because that's well, what's going to turn teams yeah. off if they don't take him. Yeah, no, you're right. I agree. And that's, that's also like, let's be honest, no one's going to say it, but that's the, the only thing in the back of people's minds about Connor Bedard, right? Is like, ah, he's, he's a little small, like, and mm-hmm. Fantilli's a man child. So like, there's a big disparity between the two of them, but um, I agree with you. And I think if I remember correctly, um, Kyle Dubas picked Nick Robertson, right? Jason's brother in yeah, Toronto. Yep. He's mm-hmm. a smaller guy. And I think he picked that's true. him early, early second round or late first round. So uh, there, there is some kind of, not necessarily that's his, his type as far as picking guys, but he hasn't shied away from it in the past. Good poll, actually. I Like I said, I still would have to go through and just try to see if there's some historical tendency, but he didn't even come to mind. Actually, somebody texted me a couple days ago and said that should be a player that the Penguins target if you know the Leafs were looking to move on from him. Yeah, he's 5'9", I, 160. Yeah, he's a smaller guy. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that um, there are a lot of those Toronto guys. Like, Would you be upset if Michael Bunting was a top six winger for the Penguins next year? Uh, so I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. Or like, right? you know, Kerfoot or yeah, David right. Camp for the bottom six. Yeah, there's so many guys on that roster that make yeah. sense. Uh, the, the bottom line is like whether people and, and I'm one of them, you like to laugh at the Leafs sometimes for their lack of success, but they had a pretty darn good team this year. Like I remember when they came into Pittsburgh, I was like, holy smokes, these guys are they're good. Like they're really good. They're deep. They're fast. They're, they're big. Um, and he built that team. So That's I the thing. think it's that, never the roster. It's just they have the opposite of a horseshoe. <laughs> they like, do. They'll just find they a way to lose. Several years of playing Boston as well and then playing and and Austin Matthews first year playing Washington when they won the cup like they they ran into a lot of really good teams too Mm -hmm. that's a great point yeah I mean sometimes it's about the path right like you someone I was just reading about uh who was Patrick Marlowe just got hired to some development program position with the Sharks Mm -hmm. and they were talking about his run with the Sharks and I'm like man those years San Jose just ran into all those other teams like they finally broke through that one year and played the Penguins but all those years, like Western Conference Final, they lose to the Blues. Like, they, they lose to Nashville. They lose to, you know, off the top of my head, L.A. They lose to Chicago. Like, they had great teams. They just never broke through. And, and Toronto might be one of those teams that's a victim of that. Like, they had these great teams. And they finally got past Tampa. But after Tampa had gone to the distance three straight seasons. So, I mean, it's. It's, it's a great team that they built there, and, and his fingerprints are all over. I mean, he was there for five years. Five years is what they say is a pretty good gauge on seeing how you design a roster, and that was a darn good team. Like, they were top five in the NHL. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tyler, do you have any other questions? Because I have one more before we make him do this outro So, for us. so speaking, <laughs> since we're still in the realm of, like, free agency and draft, 
Smitty and I kind of did this with the Steelers draft, and we asked each other the question. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. We mentioned some guys in the NHL draft. Um, so I'll, I'll open it up to more of a trade free agency question. But if there's one guy who is a free agent or you can make a trade for that just feels like he's going to be a penguin, who would it be? Well, if you would have asked me this at this time on what day is today, Tuesday, if you would ask me this at this time, maybe a couple hours earlier last night, I would have not even hesitated. And I would have said Tyler Bertuzzi would love to see him here. Ooh. But now after that Taylor Hall trade in Boston, I pretty much think he's resigning there. And that's kind of just what that was paving the way for. So I'm going to move away from that. And I would say, whew, that's a good question. Good question. Can I call you Weeksy? Or is that t- taken away from Kevin Weeks' name? <laughs> you, you can call me Weeksy. I do actually have a Y nickname that is going to sound really weird. It has nothing to do with my name. It's actually Beefy. Okay. It's a childhood nickname. Um, Beefy? So, All right. Yeah. You want to call me that? Okay. Go ahead. Um, but, that's like, you know, people whose last name is Campbell, they call him soupy. So like you can yeah. be, you can be beefy. Um, but okay, let's see. That's, oof. um, I like, you know what? I like bunting. I really do. I think he fits a lot. If I'm looking for guys deeper in the lineup, I know he was a capital and we didn't like him, but man, I'd love guarded Hathaway on our team. I would mm. love guarded Hathaway in our bottom six. And I Some also sandpaper, right. And I also, if I'm just going to just throw one more name out there, been heavy on this guy's train for a while, and especially if you're going to let Brian Dumoulin go, which might happen, um, I would say is likely to happen. Now New Jersey goes out and gets Tyler Toffoli. They got to still re-sign Timo Meyer. If I'm Kyle Dubas, I'm like, hey, Ryan Graves, why don't you just come right over here? We'll plot you right next to Chris Letang on our top pair, and you can just be six foot five and kill people. So that, that uh, I think, is, is a good idea. Too. So th- those are some of the guys that I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for. I think, you know, the other side of it is 31 other teams want to sign them too, right? So, like, you, you just have to hope that, that it works out for us. I, I love the Ryan Graves idea. I mean, it's been put out there. Our friend um, who was, who's been on here a few times, Hunter Hodes, actually mentioned that idea. Perfect replacements to go on that top pairing with Chris Letang. So you yeah, got he's me. He's only I'm 28, sorry. I believe. Yeah, so you can yeah. sign him five, six years. He's there for the you know the rest of Latang's career at least. Could be good. Mm-hmm. Never know. Um, okay, yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, we've kind of already kind of danced around this question. I feel like without in like actually asking it, what was your like first pinch me moment? Like I'm here. Cool. That's a good question. First pinch me moment. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot that first year because it was such a whirlwind. Um, probably, probably just that beginning of March that year. I don't know if you okay. guys remember, but like that was the year when they really started to roll. Like yeah. HBK came alive. They started to run in the, and just basically – that was the first time in my life where I've been around a group of people where every single person knew that they were going to win the cup, but nobody said it out loud. Like everyone knew (laughs) anyone who had watched hockey, even though I hadn't been around the team until that year, like you kind of just looked at each other and you're like, this team's like, even when they had to come back against Tampa in the Eastern conference final, like I never felt like they were going to lose. Right. Right. Yeah, right. It just seemed like it was going to happen. It seemed like they had the team that was going to do it. And 
I don't know if I felt as strongly the next year, to be completely honest with you, but I think that was my, that was my kind of aha moment of, wow, I'm, I'm working this. I'm living this every day. This team is really good. This team has a chance to be really special. Um, and this is awesome. So that, that probably was the time where it really clicked. And that was also probably the time when rhythmically I started to find a place, like as far as what I did on a game day, getting myself ready to be, you know, ready to broadcast every night and just have a bit of a, a method and a rhythm to that too. It's funny. You, you mentioned that the, the earlier when you're talking about the sharks, the teams that they were running into in, in those playoff runs in that 2016, the Stanley cup final, it, I don't think it mattered who the Penguins would have played, and it was unfortunate for the Sharks. They were just going to buzzsaw through anybody that they met in the Stanley Cup final. At that point, the, 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 we've said this too, and the, the 2016 team, I don't think it mattered what team they played. They were just too fast, too dominant, and they had several lines that could score up and down the lineup. It was just – it was night and day, like a way different team than anybody else could put on the ice. Yeah. And do you, do you guys remember the first, I think it was like the first five minutes of game one, like the penguins look, the sharks look like they were in quicksand. And I remember watching that up top and being like, they might sweep them. This is, this is a, a total mismatch. This is, they look unbelievable. And I think they went up two or three, nothing in that game. And then the sharks ended up tying it and then the Benino goal and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But you look back and you're right, Tyler, like that was a, that was an unbelievable team. It was it was a really well constructed team for having been a first round knockout the year prior in five games, to turning it around, making the right moves. You know, the Trevor Daly for Rob Scuderi move is like all timer. Justin Schultz move for the whatever it was the sixth round pick or third round pick. Marino third round, was the sixth yeah. round pick. Yeah, uh, awesome trade. Carl Haglin for David Perron straight up. Perron's obviously carved out a nice career and has won a cup, but. Um, you know, at that time, Hagelin was the player it, that you wanted. Perron would have been good in Pittsburgh had he not been here the same time as the coach that was here before Sullivan, I think. That's a good point. Yeah, that's Bad a good system. point. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah, have a Stanley so, Cup or a, a ring, a Stanley Cup championship ring? <laughs> uh, I do. I have two, actually. They were nice okay. enough. Uh, Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle were nice enough to give all the employees rings uh, the years that they won. So I've I have two that I very rarely break out, but I, I do have them. Yep. That's cool. I know where they are too, which is half the battle. <laughs> well, our last question was two questions ago. Also, Josh, you've given <laughs> us uh, much more time than I said that you were going to be on here for. So I greatly appreciate that. But this has been awesome. I think we both walked out of this with a, a greater appreciation for who's behind that voice that we're always hearing. Uh, I also want to just commend you. And you're going to appreciate the fact that I'm about to say that you are a relatively young person still and already are able to just take in everything and appreciate what you're doing in the moment because most people once it's long gone they can appreciate it but actually being able to live within the moment is something that's special and i think that you do a great job of doing so so uh josh it's been a pleasure to have you on and uh, like i said i want you to take a second and then give us a little bit of an outro so i can clip it and then continue to use that uh in the future so (laughs) You got it. So we're talking, this is around the 412. Is it just around this the 412 podcast or around the uh, 412? Don't, yeah, don't say, don't even have to say podcast. Just say around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Smitty and Tyler. Okay. Yep. All right. Here we go. Give the neck crack, which doesn't crack. Um, all right. Three, two, and one. It is time for around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. I'm Josh Getzoff. There it is. Man, I got chills. <laughs> Let's go. I got goosebumps right now. 
If I had a better camera, you'd see him. All right, but seriously, Josh, we can't thank you enough for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoy the draft experience. Obviously, free agency is going to be kicking off, too. Uh, would love to stay in touch and be able to have more conversations about the Penguins. Um, for sure. But, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a blast. I'm, I'm glad we got to do this, and I agree. If you want to do this again down the line, you know where to find me, and I'm always happy to talk Penguins. So look forward to it. Absolutely. Appreciate awesome. you. Thanks, man. All right, thanks, guys. All right. And with that being said, thanks again to Josh joining. We'll be right back to talk some Buckos baseball. Stay tuned. That was awesome. Big shout out to Josh Katzoff, the voice of the Penguins. Yeah. Huge thank you to him for coming on. We, We got a lot of information about his background. You learned a lot about him himself, but then a lot about the Penguins and his insight from somebody that's actually in the room with uh, the Kyle Dubas and the rest of the organization. So that's, that's mm-hmm. a really cool insight. Um, and yeah, I'd love to have him back on. That, that's really awesome. And the fact that he had his uh, club in high school, the broadcast. Yeah. Club, that was my favorite part of the conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they had their own camera and were, were just calling games on their own. And I'm, I'm assuming mm-hmm. they were like his high school, high school sports games. That's pretty sick. Uh, yeah. Honestly. Um, but yeah, that, that was a great conversation. So thanks. To He's Josh, one of those dudes and... that you can just wind up and let go. I mean, we yeah. would ask him a question and I would be watching cause you know, let you guys behind the fourth wall a little bit here. When you're recording the show in Streamyard, it gives you like a running time of how long the show has been going. I would be watching and he would just talk for like three minutes, four minutes straight at times answering questions. So, um, yeah, honestly, I mean, that's you know, probably for the best because I know that you guys would rather hear him than us. So, <laughs> uh, thank thank you for Josh being able to to give answers like that. Um, but yeah, now we get to talk about the Pirates. Uh, again, breaking the fourth wall. They are playing as of the time of recording this right now, and they are up six four over the Padres in the uh, debut of the City Connect jerseys. Jack Sawinski, Carlos Santana, both home about, this game. about the City Connect jerseys. By the way, I'm himself. wearing the shirt of the you're wearing the shirt, shirt okay the how do you feel about the jersey itself though um i i'll say so when it first like got leaked and i saw it really wasn't a fan but i feel like as is the case even with jerseys that i'm not like huge on i like it more when i see it on the players and i mm-hmm. liked it more after they kind of like zoomed in on them and you could see the intricacies in the pattern and stuff like with the bridges with the the diamonds and stuff like yeah. that that are kind of incorporating about the city so it, it's tough because i feel like a lot of people are either like super into them or hate them i i like them i guess i don't yeah that's kind of where i'm at with it i i think they're they're okay the helmets like i honestly i'm not even watching the game so i haven't seen the helmet i thought the it's hat is pretty good like the hat, the just the normal hat itself i thought it was okay um the jersey itself i'm fine with like i i think it's a decent design the only i guess critique i would say is like what you were talking about with the the little details within the jersey with the bridges and the diamonds i wish that was the entire jersey or none of it and not just like gradient how it is because it's in the top half of the jersey and then stopped part of the way down i wish it was either all or nothing and that's my only complaint but again i'm just a guy complaining about a jersey on a podcast so (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do they have the, um, I'm assuming the jer- the the shirt that you're wearing like that. That's just a plain yellow shirt. There's no bridges or anything on it because I can't tell in right, the video. No. It there's oh. like some type of pattern going on within the PGH, but it's just like dots. It's not oh, okay. what is actually on the jersey or anything. Yeah. They're um, not bad though. 
yeah, I think when you look at league-wide, the City Connect jerseys, I, I was worried because I thought they could have been a lot worse. I think they kind of played it safe, which I'm okay with. Yeah, I agree. Um, but okay, talking about the team that is playing in the jerseys, um, things have continued to not go so well for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And now also, T. Brian Hayes has not been seen for a few games now, even with an off day yesterday, wasn't in the lineup today, um, dealing with some back tightness, which is always kind of, seem to be something that lingers with key Brian. I mean, going back, you know, seasons now we've seen him be hampered by this on and off. Uh, but when you take, okay, you already are without Brian Reynolds. It's not a very good team to begin with. And now you're talking about missing T Brian Hayes from it too. They have put up six runs tonight, like I mentioned, but you know, on a game to game basis, it's, it's obviously very worrisome to take what's been, you know, I, I know that he st- didn't start off well, He's started to, you know, come on here recently. You're probably talking about your third or fourth best bat at worst, fourth being out of the lineup along with Brian Reynolds. I, you know, hard to find the offense within this lineup right now. Sands, uh, those two. You're talking about Andrew McCutcheon and Henry Davis at this point. Yeah, and and that's just t- spot talking about the offense with Hayes as well. You're also talking about pro- missing yeah. your your best defender. Um, so. That, that's that's a troublesome for the Pirates if he is going to be out longer term. And like you said, it, it, it has been something that's kind of always been a lingering problem with Hayes with with these back back tightness, and it's it's a concern for sure. Um, but especially when you're concerned about like winning winning games and getting this offense out of the slump that they're in, he's one of the consistent ones that you have. And like you said, you really only have Kutch and Henry Davis to to bring you a spark offensively right now, and it's. We, we've we've said it for several shows, and it, we we sound repetitive, but is it's just that baffling to us and to everybody else how a team can go so cold so quick, and it's throughout the entire life. everyone Every coming into person. today's game. Um, okay, so Austin Hedges hit a home run on June fourteenth. Since that point, him, Sawinski, Bay, and Castro were combined one for one hundred and one coming into today's game. One for one hundred and one. How's that like on accident? How do you not hit better than that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I I genuinely don't know that one for one hundred and one. That is awful. Uh, What what does that even equate to with a batting average? (laughs) Would be point zero one. I mean, it's not. Yeah, because one for one hundred is one percent, so it's less than one percent. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Um, I I don't know and. I don't know if this the simple answer is just like, can you blame Andy Haynes and, and call it good? Because obviously I don't think he's doing anything as a hitting coach. I, I think that honestly, right now he probably couldn't get me to hit better in the horse nickel softball tournament. So I, I, I think when you look at it from how much is he adding from a coaching value, obviously he's not adding much. Otherwise you would see some improvements or not even necessarily see improvements. You wouldn't see such a drop off from everybody, but even despite Andy Haynes and what, what he brings as a coach, I, I'm wondering like what it is from a player's because I know a, a ton of baseball and, and throughout sports, not just baseball, but like how you perform can be mental. Is there something mentally that happened in the month of May where they got just demolished by so many teams that could have affected this lineup to the point where they started believing that they are that bad and now they, they can't get themselves mentally out of it individually? As players, because I mean, I know, I know hitting case, is probably a major leaguers. I, I, I know. Well, a lot of these guys should be major leaguers anyway. Yeah. Austin Hedges should be, be sent to double A. 
that he, he shouldn't he shouldn't be anywhere near the MLB right now, batting like no. 0. 0.7 on on the season. So I I or not 0. 0.7. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing if he was batting 700. He's batting like 0. 0.007. Um, Double but no, this the the hitting has been such a problem over the past month. Really, mm-hmm. like two months, or almost if you're including like all these terrible stretches in May. But I feel like even some of those games in May, they they were still getting some runs. They were just getting beat, and and it was the pitching that started to tear down. And now, well, you're look getting- at the look the shame the biggest shame of all this. Look at the starting pitching they got in that series against the Marlins. They were great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that happens whenever you can't soar, and that's that's the sad part. Is even whenever the team, because we we said how bad the starting pitching was and the bullpen has has been over the past several weeks, but then when you get quality innings, it doesn't matter if if the offense can't score, and mm-hmm. th- it doesn't matter how you, you could have aces one through five in your starting rotation. If you can't score one run, it won't matter. So that's that's the problem that the Pirates are running into right now. How do they fix it, though? Because clearly, like I said, Andy Haynes not doing anything as a hitting coach. The the mentality that he's he's or the philosophy that he's going using towards the hitting clearly not doing a thing. So what do you do to get out of this slump team wide slump? Because you would think that getting players like Hayes back and. Uh, Brian Reynolds eventually when he comes back and O'Neill Cruz th- in the later part of the season that could help the offense too but mm-hmm. we're not getting some of the we're not getting O'Neill Cruz until at least what like August so you can't really think about that right now yeah. we're in June 27th right now almost in July how do you get out of the fix right now that that's that's the hard part yeah, I, I don't think that you do. I mean, what you're talking about, I think, marginally makes them a better team. I don't think it's enough for them to all of a sudden be in the mix. Also, you know, we talked about the hitting. The bullpen hasn't been good. I know that they're missing some bodies there as well. Uh, it seems like it, you can you notice when a guy's about to go on the IL almost because they start to, like, break down a little bit. It seems like they have multiple consecutive bad outings and then they go on the IL. So hopefully, you know, when they get a guy like Colin Holderman back who started out the season really well, he's back to that form as opposed to what we had seen right before the IL. Um Jose Hernandez coming back off the IL when he does. Um what's up with Moretta? You know, can they get the early season form of him back? Like these are questions that marginally I think make them a better team. I don't think that they're as bad as what they've shown lately. Um, but you know, it's kind of like that same conversation we had in May that we're having again. Like they're not as good as we saw in April. They're not as bad as we saw in May. We're once again having it throughout June with the way that they looked early in June as opposed to now. So um yeah, I think you know the additions of Brian Reynolds, Hayes back. You know, if they call up Andy or like a, I think a guy that no one's really talking about that could definitely help the major league club is Jared Triolo, who can play both corner infield spots. Maybe he could play some outfield as well. Uh, obviously, you know, DH would be a spot too, but they have so many guys that are like Kutch is used primarily as the DH as opposed to playing the outfield these days. So, uh, I, I do think that there are ways for them to marginally get better offensively but they're still going to have black holes like, you know, six through nine on any given night. So I'm, I, I'm out of answers for the 2023 pirates. Basically. Would you be interested in bringing back Chad cool in a uh, reliever role? Yes. Yes. I've always wanted, I, I wish that they would have had that be his permanent home. And I think that he actually pushed back against that. But now at this point in his career, I don't think that he's really in a spot to do that. 
Um, but I've always felt like that was his best home. Yeah. I mean, for, for where the pirates are at, I feel like that could be an option. It's familiarity with the organization. Um, and you get some new blood in that, that bullpen. Um, so that would be interesting just because you when we're talking about guys coming up from the minors, they're all position players. Hardly any, like there's, there's yeah. only one, one pitcher right now. And it's a shame because of the Mike Burroughs injury. He would probably would have been up here by now if we're, if we're talking about players from AAA. But yeah. Quinn Priester is the only guy who is on the MLB radar when it comes to pitching. He started who is pitch ready to come too. up. So potentially you see him, but it's a shame because we have several position players that we think could come up and contribute right away and help this team right now. Pitching wise, we're still a season or two out from probably most of the help that we're going to be able to see at the MLB level. So it's it's a shame that all the reinforcements, we basically get no help when it comes to bullpen um, or, or really starting pitching. Like I said, Quinn Priester, he could come up at some point over the next like month or two, but he's really the only guy. Paul Skeens. <laughs> Imagine how funny Ima- would that be if they draft him? If, if like, they draft him and like our 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 arms are like dog water right now. We need you. Yeah. Not not <laughs> we, not as a starter. Like Come listen, we we, we saw you through 120 pitches a month ago. We need you right now. I no, I, I mean I I listen I I'm still Dylan Cruz, but I'm not going to be upset if that's the route that they go. And also LSU won the college baseball yeah. world series, uh, mm-hmm. dominating fashion. Yeah. What a wild se- game two, Florida blew them out. Like it was just, yeah. The game one, it was pretty close. I mean, didn't, didn't LSU walk it off. Yeah. And, and they won four to three, but then game two, Florida just completely obliterated LSU. Mm-hmm. Then game three, LSU ends up winning and, yeah, that was a. I saw someone saying that, that was like one of the worst matchups for a college baseball World Series that they've had in a while, which I don't know if that's true. I don't follow college baseball enough. Um, but like in terms you know, of what? In terms of like overall teams, like like team talent oh. that could have been there. Hmm. I have. I no mean, idea I think though. what I thought was cool about it was the fact that you know you had like the top guys going against each other because you obviously yeah. have. Cruz and Steens on the LSU side, and then White Langford, who hit a home run uh, early in that game for Florida on the other side. So I thought it was like nice to see all those guys, at least from a Pirates perspective, like, you know, three of the names we're t- talking about as the number one pick. Did you see that thing on Twitter, by the way? The with our with Twitter? our account with the, with our account around the four one two, because I put up the poll right, and I had oh I uh, saw people saying or I saw your conversation with Bloop and a blast, I think about Langford. Yeah. Yeah, but there were there were some other people saying the same thing. I just yeah. I didn't include him because I had I somebody pointed out an article where it did mention him for the Pirates at 1-1, but I personally hadn't seen it. So I put the three names that I had seen for pick 1-1 mm-hmm. and then said other. That was all it was. But um no, I mean he's he's killing it too. I think if you go if you go anything other than Cruiser Steens, that's you're going under slot, I think, because you want to be able to spend more money throughout the draft. But even so, somebody pointed this out. There's like, they don't have as high of a, you know, that second pick isn't as high as it normally is for the Pirates. It's like 40 something. So mm-hmm. like, you got to talk about a guy getting through a lot of teams a second time in order to get back to the Pirates to be able to get that guy. 
yeah. that you're hoping to pay in with your second pick, like 40 something. Cause that's normally the plan. Like, you know, spend down in round one and then throw a bunch of money at like, yeah. you know, you're not going to be able to get arm. a Bubba Chandler this year. Yeah. Right. So I, I think they should just pay the slot value, take Cruz, make it an easy decision. Even if it ends up being the wrong decision, it, it's still an easy one to justify <laughs> right now. Yeah, there you go. It's an, it's easy to justify right now. Um, they did make one move for the bullpen. We will see if anything comes of it. Acquiring Andre Jackson from the Dodgers. Um, Dodger fans seem pretty excited about it. So, well, to get him off the team. Considering that he currently has a 6.62 ERA in seven games and 17.2 innings pitched, he's given up 22 hits, uh, 13 runs, all, all of great. them earned, five home runs, um, and he's walked three guys. His current batting average against is 289. So, you know, he I think he fits right in, to be completely honest. <laughs> there you go. There it is. <sighs> Sick yeah, beard, though. I will see. Yeah. I like the aesthetic for sure. <laughs> I so like the aesthetic. Maybe he's like... Maybe. Maybe. He's 27. This dude's younger than us. Come on, man. That's, that's so weird that professional athletes are younger than us now. Hey, we started seven it. years, we, seven years younger than Getty. We're, we're, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh man. All right. Well, hopefully he does. That's good. it. That's, that's it. it. No Steelers talk this week. No, nah, nothing, nothing to talk about. I mean, we had a, the thing is we recorded a show on Saturday. So like pretty quick turnaround for us this week. So yeah, nothing to talk about there, but I'm sure there will be next week. So, but a lot of Penguins talk. I would say it's going to be Penguins heavy again next week. Um, I'm not going to make any promises. Maybe it makes sense to once again have a guest on to talk about whoever they drafted as well as whatever they might have done early in free agency. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but free we'll agency, be back next draft. week. Yeah. Um, once again, big shout out to Josh Getzoff. This might go down as one of my you know favorite episodes that we've done. Uh, I'm not going to say number one. I think that would be putting too much praise on Getzy and too much pressure going forward. Um, but big shout out to him. It was a great conversation. Uh, learning more about him. Obviously love every time that I get to hear stories about Mike Lang and obviously somebody that worked so closely with him and then obviously took over and had to try to fill those shoes while making a name for himself. Um, but great conversation. Big shout out to him. You can follow him. I'll put his social media stuff in the description of the show. Uh, also there, you'll find some GoFundMe links and some links to like our friend Haley's uh clothing that she's been doing with everything custom designs um a senior at the high school that i graduated from looking for some help with the senior project the link to that is in the description as well like subscribe hit that notification bell leave us a five-star review wherever you are watching listening do all that stuff follow us on all social medias um josh Getzoff kind of already gave us an outro teach barbershop New and improved at a brand new location. Maybe we should share some photos of that. I'll try to have some and, and pull them up next time because boy, is it a far cry from his old location. Uh, the boy's moving up in the world. So big shout out to Keith Keith's Barbershop. Uh, has been sponsoring us basically since what? I think three years, the last three years or so. I think since he started the barbershop, since, really. Yes, yeah, since he created it. Yeah. So big shout no out to army. Christian. <laughs> <laughs> big, sh big shout out to the army as that's, well as all the a, other branches that's a there. that's a throwback if you know yeah what we're i didn't want about <laughs> yeah i just i didn't want people to be like why just the army so everybody all all branches of the military big shout out 
Um, again, shout out to Josh Getzoff. I'm going to play that over and over again as our outro going forward. So, um, but yeah, I think that's it. Until next week, first meeting for Tyler. This has been around the 412. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.